of Weddings and Wine, a So Powerful Parable by Dana Buck. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. John 2, verse 1-5 through 5. What if Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine happened in the present day? Of Weddings and Wine, a soul-powerful parable by Dana Buck. It's time for a story, and one you know well. Our setting, an elegant five-star hotel. Now that may not be the familiar location for this tale of nuptials, fermented libations, but just give a listen and go with the flow and see if you recognize someone you know. A man in smart jacket and high-polished shoes prepares for an evening of raving reviews. He passes a mirror and pauses to stand. The reflection returned is substantial and grand. Experienced, mannered, resplendent is he, a man of refinement, our head mater d. Through hundreds of banquets and each without fail, he's noted and planned every single detail. His army of waiters, like classy torpedoes, hustle and move in Armani tuxedos. All is in readiness, without exception, to host and direct tonight's wedding reception. The guests have arrived and are making their way to the venue where opulence is on display. An elegant ballroom, the door beckons wide, linens and crystal and china inside. Mahogany moldings so seasoned with years, the hand-woven carpet, the fine chandeliers. Banqueting tables like skirted plateaus host platters of silver where food overflows. A dance floor is waiting, an orchestra plays. The atmosphere perfect refinement conveys. But the ultimate feature that captures attention, that gives the occasion that extra dimension, precipitates wonder in chants so sublime, a ten-foot-high fountain just flowing with wine. Its grandeur is such that it should be illicit. It sits in the center where no one can miss it. Red wine is flowing in streams on the right, while off to the left pour the rosé and white. The food may be gourmet, the orchestra fine, but everyone's longing to enjoy the wine. The head mater d' checks the names off a list. His chart tells him of whom the crowd will consist. A small, older woman, a nice younger man, walk up to the podium at which he stands. They give him their names, but a detail's amiss, for the mater d' can't find them there on his list. I know what's occurred, said the woman to he. My son and I sent a late RSVP. Slightly annoyed, he replied rather keen. There's seats near the kitchen door, table 15. They thanked him and moved to their appointed place, while a haughty expression remained on his face. A handsome young man, well-groomed and athletic, but he came with his mother. That's rather pathetic. He completed his task, every name on the sheet. Another assignment is done and complete. 
But there are two people still absent and tardy. The bride and the groom. Yes, there's no wedding party. He queries an update from one of his waiters. They're not in the lobby, hall, or elevators. With the bride and the groom being both absentee, an announcement is made by the head maitre d. It seems that our couple has encountered havoc, their limousine stuck in some terrible traffic. Once they arrive, we'll be ready to dine, so until they appear, please help yourself to the wine. The response to the words of the head maitre d is a run on Chianti, Merlot, and Chablis. Guests drink sangria, Syrah, Chardonnay, consume all the Zinfandel, the Cabernet. The Bordeaux and Riesling don't go very far, and once that is guzzled, so is the Pinot Noir. Vintage by vintage, carafe by carafe, the fountain is drained, then refilled by the staff. When finally the groom hurries in with his bride, they're down to one bottle of Ripple inside. So before the wed couple can enter the room, the head maitre d' asks to meet with the groom. Meanwhile, the people at table 15 enjoy Jordan almonds, red, yellow, and green. The woman then rises, excuse me, bestows, and heads for the lobby to powder her nose. But before she can cross to the ladies' restroom, she is taken aback by the voice of the groom. He's loud and he's angry, surrounded by waiters, with shouts of mismanagement, dumbbells, and traitors. She pauses to listen and soon can define his temper as such, for they've run out of wine. It's so catastrophic, the anguished groom cried. I can't face my guests or my newlywed bride. You've taken the happiest day of my life and embarrassed me fully in front of my wife. The words of the groom hit the staff like a boulder. Then the head maitre d' felt a tap on the shoulder. Excuse me, good sir, and he turned at the words, I don't mean to pry, interfere, or disturb, but I couldn't help hearing the angst and confusion. Perhaps I can offer you all a solution. My son is a guest out at table 15. I'd be happy to ask him to come intervene. Now I know what you're thinking. What strings can he pull? Our problem requires not a small miracle. But if you'll only trust him and simply believe, I think he may have one tucked up in his sleeve. The staff were dumbfounded. Some looked on in jest, disrupted by this matrimonial guest. The head maitre d' said, with some condescension, I'm sure we're all touched by your kind intervention. Don't prolong suspense. Keep your plan under wraps. Does your son own a vineyard or a wine store, perhaps? For unless he is Ernest or Julio Gallo, I find your suggestions unhelpful and shallow. The stupefied waiters were shocked and disturbed. But the woman was tranquil, not one bit perturbed. The maitre d' opened his mouth to resume, but was silenced at once by the voice of the groom. Now don't be too hasty, we're caught in a bind. Do you have a source for emergency wine? If you don't know where Cabernet or Chablis is, then please don't inhibit this woman's ideas. We're plumb out of options, we're all in a stew. Let's trust in this woman, what else can we do? The head maitre d' thumped his chest with his fist. I just don't have time for suggestions like this. I'm off to the ballroom to placate the guests and somehow replace all their beverage requests. If that doesn't work, I don't know what I'll do. He looked at the woman. I have no time for you. 
With these final words, he stomped out of the room, close followed and chased by the overwrought groom. Then, just like a flash, all the waiters unfreeze. They turn to the woman and fall to their knees, with voices all chorused in panic and grief. We regret the unfortunate words of our chief. Please do tell your son that we need his assistance. There's no opposition. He'll meet no resistance. Implore him, compel him, petition, insist. Beseech him, coerce him. Yes, you get the gist. Beg and request and appeal and incline. Whoever is needed, we must have some wine. The woman just smiled with a countenance sweet and encouraged them all to get back on their feet. I don't need to bully, no need to harass him. I'll simply return to our table and ask him. Forgoing her trip to the ladies' latrine, she spun on her heel back to table 15. Resuming her seat at the left of her son, she quickly recounts what she said and she's done. He chews on an almond and then asks tenderly, why bring this conundrum and trouble to me? I'm really quite sorry they've run out of wine, but it isn't my problem. It isn't my time. Now, I don't know for sure, and I only can guess at what really ensued and what transpired next, but she gave him a look, as I breathe and I live, of only the sort Jewish mothers can give. He heaved a great sigh and then exhaled another, arose from the table to follow his mother. No one seemed to notice, no stir was created as they quick arrived where the serving staff waited. His mother then whistled and got their attention. This man is my son, who I've already mentioned. His plan may seem silly or even bizarre, but please do your duty, whoever you are. Whatever you're thinking, whatever compels you, just put that aside and do all that he tells you. The waiters exchanged apprehensive expressions, then all shrugged their shoulders in common concession. The son then stepped forward to give his instructions. Please grab some bus bins, whatever your function. The ugly gray plastic tubs, you know the type, the ones that are slimy and smell kind of ripe. Dump out the contents, half-eaten knishes, napkins and straws, unwashed glasses and dishes. Then fill them with water as full as can be, and ever so carefully bring them to me. Without an objection, the waiters comply, and soon they return, busboy tubs held up high. The son takes a glass, fills it up to the brim with the fluid contained in the gray plastic bin. Take this at once to the head mater D, and ask him to taste it. Don't say it's from me. When you have accomplished this one simple deed, then tell him there's plenty. Yes, all that he needs. The instructed waiter was clearly aghast, for he could see what was afloat in the glass. The son saw the worried expression displayed. Now don't be afraid, just go do what I say. Shaking his head, this reluctant draftee moved off to encounter the head mater D. It didn't take long to deduce his location. He stood at the center of groom agitation. When he saw the waiter quick motion him near, he found an excuse to escape and move clear. The waiter reluctantly held up the glass. I've been sent here to ask you to taste this repast. He covered his eyes and extended the drink, a swill-like concoction that came from the sink. Expecting profanity, spitting and retching, instead what he heard was endearing, 
and fetching. Oh my, said the head mater d, it's divine, exquisite, delicious, what excellent wine. It's austere, yet complex, not too earthy or dense. He lifted a glass for a swish and a rinse. So angular, elegant, opulent, dry, he inhaled the bouquet with a tear in his eye. The waiter was numbed by this turn of events. He'd expected that beverage to give great offense. But it wasn't a mixture not fit for a swine. Somehow it was now incomparable wine. Where did you get this robust tour de force? What is the vintage and what is the source? The waiter, shocked by metamorphosing sludge, just couldn't refer to the stuff in the tubs. He said with a voice that is nervous and twitching, I don't know the wine, but there's lots in the kitchen. The head mater D ordered, go get a funnel. He now perceived light at the end of his tunnel. Fill up the fountain, move quick, get it flowing. His gusto returning, his confidence growing. I'll make an announcement. I know just what to say. Oh, this little miracle just saved the day. So the serving staff prepped all the wine to dispense, while the head mater D, in a voice of suspense, called for attention and lifting his hands, silencing voices and stilling the band. The groom had suppressed a compulsion to hide and stands apprehensively next to his bride. The waiters were present, all stood in the room as the head mater D moved his eyes to the groom. In all of my years hosting banquets and feasts, there's always decorum as wine is released. The prestigious vintages always come first, followed by those that are, frankly, much worse. But you, our fine host, to the groom, he then said, have turned this tradition right square on its head. For you have reserved and in no way have wasted the finest libation that I've ever tasted. As victory is ripped from catastrophe's jaws, the head mater D leads the crowd in applause. The groom nods his head to the mater d' chief and then sags in the arms of his bride with relief. The wine is now flowing, the wedding's a hit. There was no disaster, not one little bit. The head mater d, once again fine and formal, can feel his blood pressure returning to normal. I must know the answer, he says disconcerted. How was this potential misfortune averted? His questioning strong, curiosity itching, he exits the ballroom and enters the kitchen. A cry of surprise and dismay he must smother, for there stands the man and his small Jewish mother. Was this man the answer? Can he be the one? I owe you, dear madam, both you and your son. She nods with an essence of motherly charm and proudly slips both of her hands through his arm. Good sir, how I thank you, the mater d' cooed. I'm afraid earlier I was boorish and rude. Your mother's kind gesture of help was extended, and I just insulted, affronted, offended. He turned to the mother. My manners were spartan. I ask your forgiveness and do beg your pardon. Her gracious reply cast aside any doubt. Forgiveness is what my dear son's all about. The head mater d's very soul became spurred as he sensed a significant depth to her words. There's one other thing I must ask, must pursue it. Please tell me, good sir, the wine. How did you do it? The son simply waved, indicating the staff. Why, they made the miracle on my behalf. 
For I can equip and instruct and empower, but what it comes down to in the crucial hour, someone must act, must have faith and believe, even the size of a small mustard seed. The head maitre D owned a puzzled expression, yet sensed he'd been given a powerful lesson. The sun touched his shoulder, his face was serene. Well, I'm going to head back to table 15. He moved to the door past the dishes and trays, but paused before leaving with these words to say. The secret of life is the secret of wine. Find and hold on to that one perfect vine. The room was then filled with the fragrance of grapes as he left them all standing with mouths full agape. The head maitre D moved beside the small mother. What a marvelous man, quite unlike any other. She nodded agreement, her smile firmly set. Believe me, you haven't seen anything yet. This retelling of Jesus' first miracle may have a different setting, but it retains one important key element of the biblical story. For the miracle to occur, somebody had to do something. Mary's instructions to the servants in John 2 verse 5 were really quite simple. Do whatever he, Jesus, tells you. Nothing was going to happen unless those servants filled those jars with water and then drew some out to take to the master of the banquet. The water only became the finest of wine because those servants were willing to act. In the same way, God still calls us to action to fulfill His will and see miracles accomplished. He doesn't need our actions, and there's certainly no formula for tapping into God's power. But more often than not, He requires us to take that step or leap of faith that sets His will in motion. Mary's instructions to the servants are every bit as applicable to us today. Do whatever he tells you. Good advice, Mary. 